0: Politics, the Bush, and the future of our regions. You're listening to Weatherboard and Iron with Barnaby Joyce and Matt Canavan. Well, welcome back to another episode of Weatherboard and Iron. I'm Senator Matthew Canavan, uh, a podcast uh, all devoted to things country, Australia, looking at our future, nation's future. And today uh, I'm talking to an honourable Australian, uh, Tony Abbott, former Prime Minister, has done a great job as a leader of this country uh, for for many years, not just as Prime Minister. And uh, g'day Tony, how are you?
1: Matt, uh, thanks for talking to me. I'm uh, getting a little bit uh, frustrated with this ongoing lockdown. I commend the Prime Minister for wanting to put uh, livelihoods in there as every bit as important as lives, but uh, I really... I, I'm getting a little frustrated with some of the state premiers who seem to be keen to keep the lockdown going longer than it should.
0: Well, I wanted to ask you about that, Tony, because you probably more than any, almost anyone else in Australia, apart from epidemiologists and virologists whose livelihoods it is, you probably have had more experience, uh, or more history with this issue than most. Um Few people have commented since the start of this started as Health Minister. You did a lot on this front when not many other people were talking about it. So uh, I suppose I wanted to get your perspective looking back over that, uh, over, over how you anticipated a potential pandemic in the 2000s. How have you seen this play out over the last few months? Is it sort of what you war-gamed and expected back then?
1: Look, uh, nothing ever happens exactly as you anticipated. And this thing has developed. In ways which uh, I didn't anticipate. Uh, But uh, way back when I was Health Minister in the last four years of the Howard government, I was certainly very focused on the uh, potential for a pandemic. Uh, I thought that a pandemic was not a possibility, but uh, an inevitability. Um, We didn't get the bird flu pandemic that I feared back then, but we have got the coronavirus pandemic. And I'm pleased that the thinking that I and others put in. then has had some impact on our response to it. I think generally speaking, the health response has been good. We did put border controls in uh, relatively early. Uh, We did uh, impose very significant quarantine restrictions on travellers from China pretty early. And that and the fact that it was uh, summer here and winter in Europe, I think has helped to Insulate us from the mega deaths that so many European and uh, North American countries have suffered. So, certainly, uh, good marks to the government for the health response. I think the economic response um, has been interesting. Uh, There's no doubt that we did need to put uh, some significant social distancing into practice. Uh, Whether it needed to be quite as intense as it was, whether it should have been as long as it has, I think is a much more contentious question. And certainly, uh, now that we've pretty much weathered the health storm, I think we've got to open up as quickly as possible. And I'm getting very impatient with state premiers who seem to rather like lecturing us on what we can't do, who seem to rather like uh, keeping us much more locked up than we need to be for our own good. But surely, in a mature democracy, you ought to trust citizens more to know what their own good really is. Uh, I'm a big admirer of the medical profession. I work closely with the medical profession as health minister. Many of my best friends are doctors and I respect their expertise, but in the end, it's the government, uh, not the medical experts who should be making decisions about what's in our long-term national interest We live in a democracy, not a doctocracy, and I think sometimes we've been at risk of forgetting that lately.
0: Well, it's interesting, Tony, you you, you take that tack because I've done a little bit of reading of what was going on in the 2000s ahead of our our conversation, and uh, it did did sort of surprise me that I I didn't read much, and you probably are much more familiar with this, but when I've read this, I didn't actually read a lot about wide-scale economic lockdowns as a response. There was talk of uh, of of obviously uh the potential need to shut schools although that was in a uh, thinking of a pandemic that would probably hit our younger population mm. uh mm. uh more directly uh, mm. as previous pandemics have yeah. uh uh there was there was there was talk of needing to to restrict travel uh including internally within uh, australia not just uh, externally uh and there was talk of freeing up hospitals uh, uh, uh you know trying to get ventilators all the things that we've seen in the last few months uh, there's quite a lot predicted but there wasn't a lot of talk of well we need to shut down uh, uh gun shops we need to shut every pub in the country you know that that, that didn't factor in, in the in the plans is that is that something that's sort of come out of the blue to you to some degree or was there sort of plans to potentially well, take such widespread if, economic action
1: if you look at what happened at the time of the spanish flu pandemic uh, there were uh, some significant closures. Uh, Schools closed for a time, uh, cinemas closed for a time, uh, race meetings and other large public gatherings were closed down for a time. Um, But the Spanish flu pandemic was i think a a more severe pandemic than this one uh, the spanish flu pandemic uh, killed a, a very large number of people around the world uh, some estimates are up to 50 million um, in a much smaller global population in the united states a population of 100 million in those days lost about a half a million to the spanish flu pandemic and the principal victims of the spanish flu pandemic were prime age people people aged from 20 to 40. Uh, So this pandemic has been quite different. Uh, Its main victims have been the elderly and people with compromised health systems. So in that sense, it's been much more like our standard seasonal flu uh, than the kind of pandemic that I was uh, focused on back in my time as health minister. Um, I always thought uh, that a pandemic was overwhelmingly likely to generate overseas and that overwhelmingly, uh, our response had to be a health response, uh, starting with very strong controls at our border and continuing uh, to a uh, mobilised public hospital system and a very well-developed testing, tracing and treating system domestically. Now, I think by and large, we have, as I said, got the health response right, given the situation in Italy in early to mid-March, I think it's understandable that we imposed the very extensive and quite drastic social distancing and shutdowns that we did. But once it was obvious that our curve was indeed flattening, and it was flattening off a pretty low base, uh, I think we could have relaxed uh, further and faster than we have. And certainly now, it's very important that we open up domestically as quickly as possible, why we 've currently got uh, state border closures, why we 've suddenly got still such limitations on internal travel, uh, why we 've still got uh, such strict limitations on the numbers of people that can meet, I think is uh, is, is a sign of uh, overcaution to put it at its kindest
0: well um, before we come back to the maybe a little bit of the the current pandemic I, did, I did just want to get on the record some history which I found fascinating. I, uh, I read a very prescient speech of yours that you gave in Ottawa in October 2005 uh, at a pandemic flu conference where it, it is like when you read it, it's like predicting exactly what's happening here. Um, but I wanted to just ask you a question about in that speech, you, uh, uh, you, you, you regard a story about how you had a press conference in February 2004 with the chief medical officer, and we all know who the chief medical officer is now. But the Chief Medical Officer back then was Richard Smallwood. And he outlined, he had a very strong quote about how a pandemic would overwhelm our health services, you know, lead to morgues and undertakers under huge pressure. Uh, and you pointed out that after that press conference, you basically had every question was asked about the parliamentary superannuation scheme, hardly anything about the actual pandemic. And the only news follow-up was a page six story in uh, the Canberra yeah. Times. I mean, why was it so hard to get people to, to, to think about something like this, which now obviously we're all awake to it. But back then... It's-
1: It's the natural natural tendency of the media in particular, but the political class more generally to focus on the crisis of the moment. We're completely focused uh, on the corona crisis now, uh, still very largely on the health aspects of the corona crisis. uh, But I suspect in three and six months time, uh, to the extent we're still thinking about coronavirus, it'll be very much in terms of the economic consequences of the coronavirus-induced shutdowns. It, look, this is, this is the nature of the political class. It always wants to play on the ball, if I might use an Aussie rules analogy. Uh, and yet the challenge for sensible leaders, particularly sensible national leaders, is to be conscious of the importance, not just of the urgent, uh, to be thinking several steps ahead of the current play and to be trying to think of where our country is going to be in 1, 5, 10, 25 years' time and to ensure that we're as well-equipped as possible to deal with all reasonable contingencies. And that was why back uh, between 2003 and 2007 as health minister, uh, I was focused on a potential pandemic because I thought that was the direst thing that the health system could face. Uh, I was also pretty focused uh, back in those days on try to ensure that we were more conscious of what we were putting in our mouths because even back then I could see obesity uh, as a massive looming health problem and of course it's only got worse. Uh, the challenge for everyone in the health system generally is to try to ensure that uh, life expectancies continue to rise dramatically as they did uh, throughout the last century given the diseases of affluenza which are bad diet and too little exercise
0: it's also one of the the strongest comorbidities as well with this Mm. uh, particular uh pandemic the coronavirus uh, obesity seems to be one of the the, apart from age the the one of the most um uh, correlated uh uh, factors in 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 the the more Mm. dire outcomes i mean another part of your speech i just wanted to, to touch on moving back to sort of where we are now is you Quote from a US draft pandemic plan, which yep. maps out that, that in the event of a pandemic, there'll be shortages of ventilators. Yep, we've seen. There'll be pressures on the health system, exaggeration in the media. Yep, all things seen. It, it does also say that looting could become a serious problem. Now, I don't think, I haven't seen a lot of reports of, of that kind of social breakdown in, in obviously in our country. We haven't had. The pandemic is, is great but in the u.n new york or italy it, yeah. it doesn't seem to have broken down this way i mean what's your view given our culture has been tested here a little and you i know you're a keen student and 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 mm. an observer of our culture how do you think western culture has sort of held up through this uh, this pressure has been placed under uh mm. uh Matt, has I it think, responded well
1: i think we've responded pretty well but In the end, I don't think this pandemic has turned out to be as serious Mm. um, for our times as something like the Spanish flu pandemic was for those. Uh, Our death rates thus far, assuming no dire mutations in the near future, our death rates have turned out to be quite substantially less. You know, the death rate was, was really very dramatic in the United States in particular and also in Britain. Uh, now, the fact that it followed so hard on the heels of the Great War has tended to obscure uh, our folk memories of the Spanish flu pandemic. Uh, our folk memories of the war have been more dramatic. Uh, but, uh, but, but it was a very high death rate. And when you've got uh, a very significant percentage of the prime age population sick uh, and at some risk of death, Obviously, you've got uh, far greater challenges maintaining essential services than we've had through mm-hmm. this pandemic mm-hmm. so far, and I'm rather confident uh, we'll have through this pandemic uh, um, uh, from now until its conclusion.
0: And we had, we had some early warning signs. We had the looting and what have you. Sorry, not looting the um, the hoarding uh, mm-hmm. and the toilet paper and what have you. That that's not something I saw predicted. Uh, no one seemed to be worried that toilet paper might run out <laughs> in the in the uh, in, in the war gaming. but. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, but but look, overall, I think. I mean, I think the thing with Australian culture, I think it's funny how we've got this tension between our larrikin nature and uh, and, and our prudish uh, uh, nature as well. It's, I, I sit back here sometimes and look uh, how we consider ourselves larrikins, but every time someone steps out, does the wrong thing, whether it's a rugby league player or what have you, there's just a there's just a total uh, blanketing of, criticism of those people. <laughs> and, and it does pilot. actually sort of serve a social purpose as well. Uh, I think most a
1: rush do. to judgment. <laughs>
0: yeah, there has been. And, and I sometimes think it's a little unfair, but then it's also, I think, a sign that we probably can be trusted, uh, that we don't necessarily need laws and regulations to, to now tell us what we need to do. Um, we'll obviously have to be sensible as we open up, but I think we can probably trust the Australian people to do that.
1: Look, uh, I think... When our own interests are directly involved, I think we've got a pretty shrewd sense of what's best for us. And I also think we've got a a pretty widespread decency in terms of trying to pursue our own best interests in ways that don't compromise the best interests of others. I think there is a strong sense of social solidarity here in Australia, uh, which, again, is, is, is wonderful. And it's quite different from the nanny state, uh, which I think we've hmm. verged towards a bit uh, in the last couple of months. I, I don't think we need people scolding us and wagging their fingers at us. I don't think we need the police uh, kind of rounding us up and uh, giving us uh, kind of nanny state instructions. Uh, um, and, I, and I think, to their credit, the police have sometimes felt a bit uncomfortable with the, uh, the way they've been turned into crowd controllers uh, Rather than crime stoppers.
0: Mm, mm. Well, um, uh, the other the other big thing that uh, this is this has highlighted obviously it is a virus that's that's originated in China and mm. uh, it's led to a whole lot of other ramifications here. Yeah. Um, we've seen the last couple of weeks our trading relationship be affected. I wanted to, to ask you about where you think we're at with, with China, and particularly going back to your time. It, it seems like another universe away. Uh, you gave a speech to Lowy Institute last year where you noted that during your time as Prime Minister, only, only five or so years ago, uh, you signed a trade agreement, the first trade agreement China had signed with a G20 country, uh, that China upgraded our relationship to be a, constri- a comprehensive strategic partner, one of only 11 countries they designated as that at the time. Um, what's gone so wrong?
1: It's a good question. Good question, Matt. Look, uh, I think as late as 2015, it was still possible to have a very benign view of China. I think as late as 2015, it was still possible to think that economic liberalisation would fairly swiftly and pretty seamlessly lead to measures of political liberalisation. But plainly, a hell of a lot has changed in just a few short years. Uh, We've had uh, the rapid and complete militarization of the South China Sea. Uh, we've had uh, a million Ouija's herded into re-education camps. We've had President Xi declare himself the new emperor for life. We've had uh, the uh, widespread establishment of this high-tech enabled system of social conformism under the guise of social credit. Uh, we've had uh, all these changes and we've now got this class of wolf warrior envoys, hectoring and upbraiding uh, the countries where they're stationed. We had the ambassador, the Chinese ambassador in Canberra, threatening us with trade sanctions just because we were sensible enough to say that there needed to be an impartial international inquiry into the origins and the spread of the coronavirus. Uh, We had the Chinese ambassador in Sweden say on radio something like, uh, for our friends, we've got good wine, but for our enemies, we greet them with shotguns. I mean, this is extraordinary language from uh, ambassadors, uh, utterly undiplomatic language from ambassadors. And what I think we've seen is uh, not any antagonism from the Chinese people, but we've seen a great deal of antagonism from the Chinese Communist government. And I think we've got to draw a sharp distinction between the government and the people. I think Chinese people are pretty much like people everywhere, uh, Mm -hmm. but the Chinese government got Marxist-Leninism reinforcing that traditional Chinese perception of itself as the Middle Kingdom, the centre of the universe, if you like. What What all that adds up to is a very strong attitude of cultural superiority. That can't help but lead to an increasingly difficult relationship between China and countries like Australia, it's going to be a very difficult relationship as far as the eye can see. As long as China is both communist and strong, managing that relationship is going to be a real challenge for us. But we just have to accept that it is what it is, do our best and hopefully do at least as well in the near future as we have in the recent past.
0: I mean, I think you've summed it up right there. Uh, I, I, it's hard to see in terms of obviously the relationship has changed in the past five years, uh, mm. but it's hard to identify things that the Australian government uh, has changed. Obviously, we've made certain decisions around issues like Huawei, uh, but you know, they're, they're the normal decisions the government have to take when when new new Issues arise, but but back but, in, in, uh, even, but, but even yeah, back the in, changes at the other end. If you like, that's what cha- has changed in the last decade. Yep, sorry.
1: Well, that well, that's exactly right. Look, uh, it was the I think it was the Gillard government that banned Huawei from participation mm. in the mm. NBN, uh, and certainly uh, I maintained that ban despite some pressure from within the cabinet.
0: Oh, yes, I remember that. Yep, uh,
1: from unnamed senior ministers to uh, to, uh, to loosen that ban or overturn that ban. Um, we certainly uh, flew military jets through China's uh, self-proclaimed air defence identification zone uh, in late 2013 and uh, got a pretty furious response from the Chinese foreign minister at the time, but that didn't stop us from having a what, it, what seemed to be a good relationship with China. I think the important thing when you're dealing with a bully is not to allow yourself to be cowed or intimidated Mm. you've got to let the bully know exactly where you stand exactly what your red lines are i don't think we should be gratuitously provocative but certainly you can't take a backward step on an important national issue and uh, look uh, to its credit i think the morrison government has handled the relationship as well as you can and i just think it's very unfortunate for china in the end uh, that the Chinese government has turned out to be so incredibly thin-skinned. I mean, let's take this latest virtual cessation of the barley trade. The people who are harmed by that are not really going to be our barley growers. Barley is a commodity. Uh, we're a high-quality and reliable supplier. We'll find other markets for our barley quickly enough. A Brewery, our principal mm. customer in China, is going to be the uh, the one really harmed by this because the quality of their beer will go down.
0: I think that's an excellent point too, that, that, that well, one, that we we can't be coward. I mean, because, uh, I mean, there are some critics there, uh, I think largely, well, certainly among the Australian people there, they're almost of one mind uh, that we cannot put up our foreign policy for sale. There's some critics that we should do some and usually unnamed things to, to alleviate the situation because what actually can we do here uh, apart from just totally uh outsourcing our foreign policy to another country. Uh yeah. no one will put it in those terms. No one will actually boldly say, let's do that. Yeah. Um but it's usually just, oh, we're just gonna be nicer and not 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 mm. not not so rude. But it's hard to define. I don't think the Australian's been rude in any of these things. It has made decisions uh that it's yeah. well within the rights of a a national government. Um look if other governments want to criticize that and make decisions. The other mm-hmm. point you make is a very good one that we should not be afraid of the, the fact, we should, be, we should be proud of the fact that we've got very, very high-quality produce, yeah. uh, agricultural, mineral, energy, uh, and it is going to be in demand one way or another. It might not get the same price as, mm. as maybe China is willing to pay at the moment, mm. but we'll continue to produce, we'll continue to have a strong economy yeah. uh, because people, people want our stuff.
1: And, Matt, what we've got to worry about is that uh, while the world is distracted by the corona crisis the uh, Chinese uh, Communist government could renew its pressure on Hong Kong. These Mm. people have uh, rather heroically stood up for the freedoms that they came to enjoy um, under the British system and they are determined to ensure that they continue to enjoy the one country, two systems freedoms that were promised to them for at least 50 years by Deng Xiaoping. Plainly, the Chinese government uh, wants to end uh, one ca- the, the two systems part of that one country nation as quickly as possible. Now, now, were that to happen, it would be vital for Australia and other freedom-loving countries uh, not just to protest, but to take, put in place some serious sanctions against the Chinese government and leadership, at least as serious as the sanctions that were imposed on the Russian government and leadership uh, in mm-hmm. the wake of the Russian organised and engineered covert invasion of the Western Ukraine. Yep. Um, And then, of course, there's Taiwan. Now, uh, Taiwan has uh, evolved into a thriving liberal democracy, a free and prosperous society of 25 million people. Taiwan is living, breathing proof that there is no totalitarian gene in the Chinese people. If there's a totalitarian gene, it's in the Communist Party. It's not in the Chinese people. And the Chinese regime finds Taiwan a living, breathing reproach to it uh, that you can have freedom and prosperity because uh, China, the Chinese government wants to say to its people that you can only have a measure of prosperity if you endure uh, all sorts of restrictions on your freedom. Mm. Now, Taiwan mm. demonstrates that that is not true. I'm not saying that China, with its... So has Hong Kong in the
0: past too, for that matter. is, but yes.
1: is, not, is, not, is not perhaps um, a somewhat more difficult state to run successfully than a relatively cohesive island like Taiwan. But nevertheless, with mm. those important qualifications, uh, Taiwan proves that you can have freedom and prosperity in a Chinese culture. <clears throat> and that's what the Chinese government, <clears throat> excuse me, finds extremely difficult and threatening. That's why uh, they are making much more belligerent noises about Taiwan than ever before. That's why they're acquiring the military means uh, to, uh, well, to threaten Taiwan more effectively than ever before. And this is a massive, massive looming problem uh, for countries like Australia.
0: Tony, you've, um, you, you've raised something there that I think uh, needs, a, needs a discussion and, and people haven't raised yet, and it's what happens if, if the world does decide to, to impose sanctions on, a, on an aggressive, uh, uh, aggressive actions by uh, the Chinese government. Um, and it would, of course, be the government that they're responding to, uh, as has been done with Iran and, and Russia and other states, the problem we have in that environment, obviously, is that uh, our economic connections with China, but also the large uh, business interests in this country that uh, uh, that, that, are, that, are, that seem very loath uh, to do anything uh, to stand up for our own independent wow. foreign policy. I mean, how, how can we deal with that? And look, legitimately, they raise legitimate points. We, we do have a vulnerability there. Yeah. I mean, how can we reduce that vulnerability Uh, given that risk? And and what should we do, do you think, right now to to achieve that?
1: I I do think we need to be conscious of the fact that China is unlike any other uh, government and system that we are routinely dealing with. And because it's different, there's a sense in which different standards have to apply. I do think we need to be careful about Chinese investment in strategic infrastructure. Uh, We do need to be careful about Chinese students in areas of study uh, that uh, have uh, strategic implications. I do think we need to be uh, careful about the place of China in our supply chains and obviously I think we need to be very conscious of the fact that the geopolitics of our region is changing fast and in many respects changing against us and I think that Dennis Richardson was right on the weekend uh, or not long ago when he said that our military spending needs to go up well beyond 2%, perhaps Mm. to at least 3%, uh, because we do need a stronger strategic strike capability faster uh, than it looks like we're currently embarked upon. So I think this is very important, and I think it needs to be thought about very firmly and very clearly and very quickly.
0: Mm. I'm going to run out of times of things to talk about, but I did, I did want to ask, because I wanted to ask you about the military spending, we might not have time for that, but I, I did want to ask, in terms of diversifying our supply chains, I, I mean, it's often raised that, well, we can't do that overnight. We've got uh, this huge relationship with China. I think that, that view sometimes forgets that, well, 20 years ago we had very little trade with, uh, with China. We've actually developed this uh, very, very rapidly um, what what do you think the prospects there are to to develop other markets uh, uh, almost as rapidly, uh, or, or or is that that really not possible in, in, in our in our region right now?
1: Well, well, if you look at the things that we sell to China, China buys them not because they're doing us a favour, but because it's in their interest mm. to buy what is relatively good value and is relatively high quality. So. I don't think we should be too worried about Chinese retaliation against our exports. I think the problem is more things that can't readily command an alternative market. Uh, This is where the university's dependence on Chinese students is deeply problematic. Uh, This is where um, Chinese componentry uh, in our own domestic manufacturing, I think is deeply problematic. Uh, our dependence on imported goods uh, that are directly sourced from China uh, or which are indirectly sourced from China, I think is uh, is problematic, given that China sees everything through the prism of politics and of grand strategy. Um, they do everything with strategic intent. Um, we haven't had anything like that mm. approach mm. in mm. the recent past, and I think we need to... Uh, redevelop that kind of an approach and again uh, not to be punitive to anyone uh, not to be aggressive to anyone but just to to be sensibly conscious of the fact that when you're dealing with china you're dealing with a government and a system which is much more like the government and the system of the old soviet union uh, than it is uh, like the government and the system of any other country that we routinely deal with
0: well one final question here. I, I uh, think one thing that's overlooked is that um, we often speak as if we must find a, an overseas replacement for uh, Chinese demand for our commodities. Uh, one thing we could do is to actually build up a domestic demand for those commodities, be it more manufacturing in our, in our, of our minerals or energy, uh, but also of our food. So one thing we could do more is produce more malt uh, from barley we produce a, we largely export it as a, a non-value-added product but what what do you see as our prospects everyone's talking about this now the industry minister karen andrews today had a speech at the press club yeah. what do you see of our prospects of of uh of rebuilding uh, manufacturing st- strength in this country and what's the one thing yeah. that you do uh, yeah. to, to help bring that about
1: I, okay matt uh, but just before i get to that let, let me say that uh, to so many of the questions about China, uh, the answer is India, uh, because Mm. India is the world's emerging democratic superpower. Yes, it's uh, still uh, further back in terms of its overall economic development, uh, but I think it is speeding up and I'm pretty sure that over time it will catch up uh, to China. Uh, So there is this important consideration. But in terms of our own resilience and sovereign capability, Uh, obviously (laughs) our one great comparative advantage when it came to manufacturing was cheap energy. Mm. Uh, We've squandered that over the last 10 years or so. Uh, The sooner we get it back, the better. Uh, The other thing that we need to do is is improve our labour productivity. Effectively, we need to work smarter. Now, I'm a big fan of Australia remaining a high-wage economy. Um, last thing I want to do is see the wages of Australian workers reduce. Uh, If anything, I want the wages of Australian workers to increase and increase strongly. But we're only going to be able to do that if we increase our productivity, if we end the petty restrictions on who does what, if we take the hobbles and crutches away, if there's less um, petty fogging regulation of everything, Uh, whether it's who can do what in the workplace, uh, whether it's uh, opening up new mines, building new dams, getting new baseload power into our system, Mm. we've just got to be a lot more hard-headed and practical about Mm. everything. Uh, Now, we pride ourselves on being a practical people. We pride ourselves on being problem solvers. Well, let's stop patting ourselves on the back and start making ourselves Better and more effective, and the sooner we do that, the better.
0: Well, I think it's a it's a great way to finish, Tony, because you you've summed it up well there about the, the lack of strategic uh, uh, intent in our in our decision making processes. I've I've noticed that, and and particularly I'm speaking up here in Central Queensland, 400 kilometres west of here is at a Darnie mine where I just could not understand why, whatever you thought about coal, whatever you thought about uh, climate change. Uh, from a strategic perspective, uh, why wouldn't our business community, our government leaders want to partner with a major Indian company, the biggest Indian investment in our country by far? It, it just seems so short-sighted to, to argue and nitpick about a 10 million ton per annum mine uh, around coal and climate change uh, and potentially say goodbye to a multi-billion dollar trade and in, in relationship with India at the same time. So thank God we got that away when we did, and it's uh, up and running.
1: A massive act of economic and strategic self-harm.
0: It did still do us harm. There's no doubt about that because the process was not not one that I think anyone would want to repeat. So our trick now will be convincing future investors that we've learnt our lesson and, and uh, are, are going to be open for business again. So Thank you very much, Tony. A very interesting discussion. Uh, Thanks for all of your insights uh, into both history and our future. Uh, And uh, stay safe in Sydney there.
1: I'll do my best. Thanks, Matt.
0: Well, thanks for listening to another episode of Weatherboard and Iron. Don't forget to subscribe. Uh, You can uh, uh, do so at weatherboard9.com.au or just go to your favourite podcast app, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. We can be found on all of those. Keep staying safe through this crisis and uh, have a good day.